Hey there, I'm Heather Mulder, a former AmLaw 100 partner who, just five years into my legal career, found myself questioning, why work so hard to barely be squeezing life in? So that I wouldn't become yet another attorney burnout statistic, I decided to redefine success on my terms from the inside out, which is what enabled me to build a profitable legal practice while navigating my way through the challenges of two kids and two bed rests, the 2008 financial crisis, and a battle with breast cancer. What I learned is that you can build a successful legal career without sacrificing your health or personal happiness. And I'm on a mission to help you do exactly that. Join me each week for practical, unfiltered advice on how to successfully navigate the challenging legal market and succeed in both law and life. This is the Life in Law Podcast. Well, hey there, everybody. This is Heather Mulder, host of the Life in Law Podcast. And today we have another guest. I want to introduce you to Erin, who is also a recovering lawyer turned coach, um, and I'm really excited to have her here today because we're getting into a topic that we haven't actually talked about a whole lot yet, so I'm super excited. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. I'm thrilled to be here. And why don't we, before we get into the whole topic that you wanted to discuss today, why don't we first get into a little bit about you know who you are, what you do now, and kind of how you got here. So we'll start with how did you get here? You were a lawyer, or at least a practicing lawyer at one point, yes? Yes. So I am a wife of 15 years. I'm a mom of two daughters. And yes, I practiced law for seven and a half, eight years. I actually am one of those people who went to law school right directly after college. And it was one of those things like, I don't really know what else to do Mm. with myself. I mean, we're kind of, I mean, you're 21 years old, 22 years old, you're still a baby. And I was just like, well, I'm really, you know, I'm good at school. I, you know, I'm going to keep going and I think I'm going to be a lawyer. I never like grew up. And was like, I want to be a lawyer, although my parents told me I was great at arguing. So, I mean, maybe that was like a good side note. Mm -hmm. So I went to law school and I loved law school. I excelled there, did great, worked big law. um, And then I became a mom and I went in-house with the company thinking that that was going to be the flexibility and the balance that I had been craving. And unfortunately, that was the complete opposite of the case. They (laughs) had a no work from home policy. And granted, this was like 10 years ago. This was pre-COVID before work from home was even an option. And it was very much not an option at this place. And so I was a new young mom and had zero flexibility. And so I decided to walk away. And I remember at the time thinking like, okay, like I don't have a choice. Like I can't do this because I can't, this is not working. I can't even take her to the doctor. So I must need to be a stay at home mom. Like there was Mm. never any in between ground for me, which was kind of the beginning of figuring out who the heck I was outside of being a lawyer. So I was like, okay, I'm going to go be a full-time stay at home mom which we all know is one of the hardest jobs, but it was also not a fit for me. I needed to be doing something else. And so I went back part-time after my youngest daughter was born and I was miserable. I just knew that that was not where I was supposed to be. And again, I was still fighting for flexibility, right? Like fighting Mm -hmm. for the right opportunity. And ironically, Um, A network marketing opportunity was presented to me on the side to earn some additional income. And I started earning some additional income and I started helping other people do the same. It was also introduced to the personal development world for the first time ever in my life. And it was like this huge light bulb went off and I was like, 
Oh, okay. <laughs> Here's this thing called emotional intelligence and self-care and figuring out your identity and all of these beliefs and stories that had been a part of my fabric that were not even mine. It was this whole light bulb discovery. And I started helping other people try to achieve their goals doing the same thing. And I just kept running into so many recovering attorneys, unhappy attorneys, mm -hmm. stressed out attorneys, burned out attorneys. And it was just like, God was just like, you can serve these women um, and help them. And so that is kind of how I have come full circle from former lawyer to life coach for women in the law. Okay. There's a lot there to unpack. I want to go back to the beginning. You weren't one of those people like me who for years wanted to be a lawyer. It was kind of that, well, I don't yet know who I am or what I want to do. I'm good at school, so I'll just keep the school thing going. And people tell me I argue really well. I'm good at that, so maybe I'll be a good lawyer. I'll go do that. Yes? Yep. Oh, yeah. And the very first, that's the first indication, right, of like, <laughs> you're just going by somebody else's rules, right? We're playing right. by society's rules. Like, I had no idea who I was or what I wanted to do. I just thought that sounded, you know, that's expected. You can mm -hmm. go to more school, be a, be a lawyer. That's a great, you know, upstanding job with a great salary and, you know, all the kind of things that go with it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to me. So I had um, somebody on the podcast a few months back from the former lawyer podcast, and we talked about this very thing because she helps people who know they don't want to be lawyers anymore, get out of the law and figure out, okay, what's the next thing? And she and I both talked about how common this is <laughs> of, of lawyers not just being stressed. I mean, we know there's a stress management issue. We know there's a lot of issues, but some of us choose, like I did initially, choose because we wanted to practice law. We really loved the law. We loved the idea of it, and we wanted to be lawyers. And yet there's a sizable portion of folks who just go to law school because it's the thing they think the next step, right? It's just the next step. And they don't really consider, is this what I really want? And I do think that's one of the biggest red flags <laughs> for people. Not to say that there are people who go like that and end up enjoying it. And there are people who go knowing they want to be a lawyer who end up changing their minds at some point, like I did, right? But there was a lot that went into that. But I wanted to point that out because I do think that that is you know, if you're really struggling right now with unhappiness as a lawyer, go back and say, well, did I even want this in the first place? And if you didn't, it might be time to seek out some help to figure out who you are, what you really want. And it may still be to practice law just differently, but it may not. <laughs> and that's kind of your first starting point. I would totally agree. I think the other like solidifying factor is that I studied abroad my second year of law school and like Went, for, went to forego an internship and law review and all this kind of stuff. It was probably great indication that I would rather travel abroad than go hustle for the internship, right? Like I just- right. That maybe I, the practicing lawyer thing wasn't really what you wanted. I can look back <laughs> and see like maybe that's not where my heart was, right? <laughs> right, right. So you went down this path and you practiced for a while in big law. You probably did what most people think. I'm unhappy because of big law. It's a big law problem. Then you went in-house and realized, well, okay, maybe not. Talk about what were the similarities within the in-house world and the big law world that might have surprised you with respect to why you were so unhappy still? Um, it was very much a not being seen or appreciated. Like, 
we all want validation for what we're doing, right? To know that we're showing up and that we're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. It just felt like I was going to work and just, I was just a number to them. Like I wasn't even Mm. like a person, like I was just there to churn out work, do it well, and then go home. There was never any like autonomy or, um, growing and stretching me. Right. It was just Mm -hmm. this, like you go in and then there's no mentorship. That's the other Mm -hmm. thing that I think is always so lacking in the law is if we just had a mentor, right. To just take time with us and help guide us and just not even necessarily about the work per per se, but just about the job in general to help guide the next generation. So we don't feel so stuck. So we don't feel so alone. So we don't feel like we don't have other options. Um, And it was very much a balance thing. It would, they had no regard that I was a mother. Like they Mm -hmm. didn't care basically, you know, it was just one of those things. And it, it, now, even looking back, it shocks me, like post-COVID, I, I I wonder what the scenario would have been in a different time. This is why I asked the question, because when we kind of summarize, we don't always go as in-depth into what's really the problem. But I hear this so much. I need more flexibility. I don't have flexibility in the big law environment or even in a law firm environment. And so people go in-house thinking there's more flexibility. Oftentimes, it's actually opposite. You have less, less flexibility there than I've found. And a lot of it really has to do with culture. Then when you went deeper, it wasn't just about the flexibility. It was the culture as a whole and how they treated you and how they perceived you and how you felt as a result of that. And so I wanted to highlight that because I think people assume that A, it's going to be different from the firm versus in-house, and that's not necessarily the case. B, that culture doesn't matter as much as it does because it does. And that means that you could potentially have moved from one firm to another and been much happier too because it all depends on the culture of each individual place, be it in-house or big law, right? Oh, I would absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. So then you decided, okay, going to be home, stay home with my kids, realize, okay, not all like cracked up for the stay at home. I've got to do something. And tell me kind of what was the struggle there? Because I know there's a common struggle and this gets into kind of the theme of the day, but there's a common struggle that I see. And I see this primarily in women, although I do have male clients where this happens too. But a lot of women this happens too because of the way we get classified when we start having children. You know, we're lawyers and then we're parents or moms. And it's like, we're not seen as humans, as whole people. We're seen as this this title, this (laughs) role that we play. And somehow becoming mom means not a full-time lawyer in some people's minds, right? And so there's kind of this identity crisis that I, I know a lot of clients who come to me have gone through or are going through. How did that start manifesting for you? Well, it was what I really started noticing it's always that internal push and pull, right? Like you're always being told like our feelings and our emotions mean something like they're coming from somewhere. They're manifesting from something that's like not right, either like in your body or in your environment or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember when my younger daughter was like one and a half, just feeling like I am miserable. Like I have to do something. I just felt so unhappy and unable to like 
move through the sludge, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like I knew, Mm. I just kept asking myself, I was like, is this all there is? Is Mm. this all there is? This can't be all there is, right? There's got to be more to this. Like I know that I'm here for more. I know that I'm meant for more. I just don't know what that is. And that is a really that's like a fearful place to be, right? Because you don't know what the next step is, but you know it needs to be something. And curious, because you've never said anything, but did you feel guilty for thinking that way? Yes, because I thought like, oh, you should be so happy and feel so blessed that you get to be here with your kids. How dare you want to go out and have something more? Don't you have Mm. enough already? Like you want quote unquote more than that. You should just be satisfied. So then you're like, okay, that makes me a terrible mom. Like I can't be both, right? It's like we're trying to fit into this, mm-hmm. these categories when in fact, it's just, we're, it's all one big category. We're all like, we're mom and lawyer and we just have to figure out how to make that work. And, and oftentimes I think it's so difficult because we don't really know who we are outside of being a lawyer. So it makes that that push and pull really difficult when you find yourself in limbo like that. Right. And I will say, I hear that all the time in respect of women who've had children, but I've also hear that from lawyers who seem to be very successful, like paper successful, and yet they're miserable and they feel guilty that they are thinking, shouldn't there be more to this? Shouldn't I be happier? Shouldn't I feel more fulfilled? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I? And then they think, oh, that's stupid. You know, so many people have so much less. So many people, you know, I'm looked upon and respected and ha- make great money. And But I think that's a sign to step back and go, whoa, wait, something is really wrong. And it's okay to feel that way. It just means what I would say as a coach nowadays, and you probably would say this too, is it means you've lost sight of who you really are and you're no longer aligned with kind of the core things that make you you. Like we call them personal values. You could call them whatever you want, but that's really what it means. And it's a sign to like step back and figure that out. And oftentimes it doesn't mean you have to make some big leap immediately. And you may never even make a big leap. It may be like small little changes, but it it needs to be addressed or it's never going to change. And I also think what happens is we let our ego get in the way of that as well. So not only are we having an identity crisis, but our egos are in the way saying, I should be doing this, Mm -hmm. or this is what I have to be achieving, attaining, all that kind of stuff. So we can't get out of our own way to figure out how to make a change, right? So I always say like, sometimes it's like short-term pain for long-term gain, right? Like when Mm -hmm. you're thinking about if you want to make a change or if you think a change is on the horizon, people are often, and I notice this with lawyers so much, we're looking for the next perfect opportunity. Like it has to be this whole perfect packaged up in a nice bow. Mm -hmm. If we're going to make a move, it's got to be the right move, right? Like we can't just (laughs) make just a little bit of a move and go in the general direction. We have to get to the stop sign. Like we got to get up there. So it doesn't happen ever. No, it, no. And it's an unrealistic <laughs> expectation. And you're just setting yourself up for more, you know, turmoil. Well, what you're setting yourself up for, and you probably see this in your clients by the time they get to this point is constantly dreaming about this perfect future that you're never even moving towards in any way, shape, or form because you're so paralyzed that you don't do anything and you stay exactly as is. And something that I learned twice, both very early in my legal career when I started to question 
why I was doing things the way I thought I was supposed to do them as opposed to the way I needed to be doing them for myself and not taking care of myself properly. And then again, later when I started to have this kind of weird experience of, wait a second, did cancer totally change like what I want to do with my life? And I kind of tried to rebel against that a little bit because it was very scary is doing nothing. We often think, well, doing nothing is safe. Doing nothing, at least I know the, the, the where I am. But the fact is, you're, you're changing internally as a result of doing nothing in ways that you're not going to like. And you're going to turn out bitter, resentful. I mean, we've all seen those attorneys, right, that are kind of super bitter, really resentful, and their relationships are terrible. Their marriages are often gone. They don't have good relationships with their children. They have no friends other than people at work. I mean, who wants that? That's who you turn into eventually if you do nothing about it. So you need to listen <laughs> to that inner kind of those thoughts. And we don't realize, but yeah, your ego does get in the way. And it gets in the way because everybody tells you, well, this is the path. This is the way. This is, and we we care so much about what other people think about us. That's and we don't why. trust ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, and it's so sad. I mean, I I think I've said this before. I know I say this in my newsletter upon occasion. And the number of people who will come to me and say, I will do anything. I'm ready for a change. But then by the end of our conversation, it's very clear. I know, no, they're not going to hire me anytime soon. And I keep tabs and I follow up and I check in. And I'd say 70% of those people come back to me sometimes a couple of months, sometimes a year, sometimes two years later, every single one of the folks who comes back says, I should have done it back then. They always regret not having hired hired me or somebody because they knew they needed to make a change, but they just, they weren't ready to actually do it. Right. right and a lot of it be, was ego-based. Exactly. Exactly. You have, they're going to have to take action that makes them uncomfortable and people don't want to be uncomfortable, especially lawyers. Like we don't want, we want to have all of our ducks in a row and all of our T's crossed and the I's dotted. Like we are, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. we need to know the how we need our worksheet and checklist. And when people can't, when they can't see the how, and that has been one of my biggest struggles too. And I find that with a lot of my clients is yeah. like, you have the end destination, you can see it, but the in-between is the how and people no get clue paralyzed how to get in the how. Well, yeah. and here's the problem, and this is what I see a lot too, is we keep it all inside of our heads, right? And the the thing is, is we think that we'll get clarity by thinking about it over and over again. But clarity only comes by taking action and learning from the action, which means you're going to make mistakes, which means you're going to find out, no, I actually don't want that. Or, I, you know, I kind of like this, but not this way. Or, And it's the only way. And it will speed up the process, by the way. But yeah, it means discomfort. It means making mistakes. It means learning what you don't want <laughs> along with what you do. <laughs> yep. yep, absolutely. I mean, this is where I start with my clients. Like every, when we start a coaching relationship in a coaching container, this is where we start. What do you want? Like if you knew you couldn't fail, if you could trust yourself to succeed, it wasn't about money, time or nothing. Like none of those external factors matter. What would you want? And I remember when my coach asked me that, I had absolutely no idea because no one had ever asked me that before. I was going to ask you, how many can actually answer that question? Not many. Yeah. Not many. And that's the clearest indication of that's where we need to start. Because once you figure out who you are, what you want, and like your values, the laws of your life, you are motivated. Like 
the change becomes clear, right? You have a mm-hmm. new level of clarity and awareness about where you're going and about what's actually blocking you, right? Like, because you've actually taken ownership of the situation. So once you get clear on that, it makes things so much clearer. Yeah. And I don't know if you ever do values work with your clients, but I find that a lot of people that are really lost or really don't know need to do some values work first and foremost, because they need to figure out, like reconnect. And oftentimes what's interesting is they're not surprises. They don't find big surprises or ahas there, but they're things that they hadn't really thought about in a long time or had been kind of in the back of their subconscious, but they've been pushing it back because, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing for now, right? And so they lose sight of them. They become disconnected from them. And once they reconnect and get really clear about, okay, what does this mean for me now? And where's the gap? What would That starts to give you steps, the how-to of, okay, well, what's the first step? What do I need to do to reconnect with that? How do I, you know, and it starts then to allow them to create an actual vision for the future. And an action plan with tangible steps that they can do to move forward. And that's interesting that you say that, a value. And I do that. I call it my five pillars, like Mm -hmm. peace, profit, passion, productivity. Like I do this whole thing with my clients so we can get clear on our values Mm -hmm. under all of those categories because it helps pull it out of people and actually think about, you know, what, what in that area, like what, what are you passionate about? What could you talk about all day mm-hmm. that you, you just love? Like, do you like to dance in your kitchen? Okay. Let's dance tomorrow in your kitchen. I mean, just, you know, there's just little tangible stuff that you can do once you start getting that kind of clarity and awareness around the situation. So let's go back to, you were having an identity crisis. You realized it was an identity crisis. We talked about ego getting in the way. Why do you think you and I have experienced this? We've seen plenty of peers and colleagues experience this. We've seen plenty of clients. Why do you think lawyers, especially, have such problems with their identity? Like we go into, it's like we go to law school and all of a sudden that's what we are. We're lawyers. And we stop thinking of ourselves as, as people as humans. Do you have any thoughts around, you know, how you see that play out, why it happens? I think it's the narrative of becoming a lawyer. It's like you ascend into this position when you go to law school. Like it's mm-hmm. like okay, the Socratic method and then you take the bar exam. You know what I mean? It like becomes this whole being in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And it's got a whole new set of rules. Like, okay, like you've got to graduate at the top of your class. You've got to go do big law. This is make partner. Like, this is what this profession looks like. You know what I mean? It's like you literally ascend into this whole other world. And that is just what is beaten into our brains. And a lot of us are coming from college. So we've, we're still young babies. Mm-hmm. In fact, our brain is, is not even fully formed yet. Right. And so, society's been telling us what to do for our whole life. We don't know who we are. And then we go into this profession who is telling you exactly who you should be. You end up in the practice going, well, who am I then? If I'm not that and I'm not that, then who is Aaron, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm not a full-time stay-at-home mom, if I'm not a full-time practicing lawyer, then who am I? How did you start to figure that out? A lot of it was actually working with my first coach who serendipitously came into my life. I had never, I didn't even know coaching was a thing. Like I didn't even know that was (laughs) a thing. (laughs) No, they don't. And I mean, I grew up playing 
elite junior tennis. So like, I know what it is to me to have a coach in sports, but I was like, wait, you have a coach for life? Like, I didn't even know that people could do that. So it was working with this woman who actually was also a former attorney. So it was very much like she saw me. And for the first time in my life, I realized that there's not anything wrong with me. Ah, yes. There's nothing wrong with me. I've always thought that there's something wrong with me. I wouldn't feel like this unless there was something wrong with me. I wouldn't want more unless there's something wrong with me. I wouldn't be an unhappy lawyer unless there was someone wrong with me. Like this whole narrative in my head. And when I realized there was nothing wrong with me and that I was doing exactly what I was supposed to do, I just had to, you know, get rid of the stories that had, that I'd been carrying around with me and I could actually do whatever I wanted to. There aren't any Mm -hmm. rules. I make the Mm -hmm. rules. Mm -hmm. Once I realized that I made the rules, it was gangbusters. And I wanted to help people make their own rules. That is what inspired me. Once I figured out that it was everybody's game for themselves, I was like, you can play this too. Like you can step up into the highest version of yourself as well. So. Yeah. I think for lawyers too, we are such rule followers (laughs) that when other people put rules out there, we don't question, we just do. And we start to follow and it becomes our rules without really realizing, do I want these rules? Are these the right rules for me? (laughs) And realizing we can make our own. And I think sometimes the thought of making your own is scary Mm -hmm. because again, I think it's interesting to me how society sees lawyers versus what lawyers the psychology of lawyers really is. We're seen as these tough as nails, you know, won't ever back down kind of people. And we are when it comes to advocating for our clients. We very rarely are when it comes to advocating for ourselves. Because what most people don't realize is most lawyers care a lot about other people to the point where we care too much about what others think of us. And it holds us back because then we're afraid of being judged. Absolutely. And we have no problem being judged for doing the best work we possibly could for our clients. That we're cool with. It's about being judged about our own decisions for ourselves that we don't like. Because we're held to this impossible standard. Lawyers Mm -hmm. are held to a standard of a level of perfection that's not attainable. You can't Mm -hmm. make mistakes, right? Like our mistakes can mean more than just the average mistake, right? Like if something happened, right? So you're being held up to this standard of perfection that no one can attain. Right. And you're you're crippled by thinking, crippled by fear of what other people think, or if you're going to do it wrong, or if you're not going to, you know, if you're not going to do it right, it's crippling. So you made the decision to leave. You finally realized, actually, I want to go back on something because you said, she made me realize there was nothing wrong with me. I finally figured that out. And I think, I don't know how you perceive this, but I feel like lawyers are often fixers. We feel like we have to fix everything. That was something I had to change when I trained to become a coach. And one of my coaches early on told me, Heather, lawyers are fixers. You guys take upon everybody else's problems and want to fix them for them. You don't do that as a coach. You're there to expose them and help people understand where they come from so that they can make the choice of what they want to do it with it for themselves. And you're there to help guide them to make that choice so that they figure out what the best choice is for them. But it's not always going to be what you would do or what you think. And you're not there to fix anything. And that was really hard at first because we lawyers are fixers. And because we're such fixers, I think we think 
when we ask those questions, when we realize, well, maybe I'm not as happy as I thought, when we start to have these visions of maybe I don't want to practice law anymore, we think something's wrong with us. Shouldn't I want this? Should, why am I doing this? Everybody else is, you know, and there's nothing wrong with you. It's absolutely normal to feel that way. And in fact, I would say a majority of attorneys, even if they don't ultimately end up wanting to leave the law, have these thoughts too. Right. Because life ebbs and flows. Mm-hmm. Things change. Values change. Circumstances change. So what was once a fit may not always be a fit and that's okay. So once you once you figured that out, then then what happened? So once I figured that out, it was Aaron Gurner coaching was born. I just started showing up and helping people and serving people and taking clients and formed a group coaching program and just have tried to provide as much value as I can. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. that you have had this exact same reaction that when you talk to other lawyers and you tell them what you're doing, they're like, I didn't even know people like you existed. Oh my Mm -hmm. God, we need people like you. Like, thank goodness. Thank goodness. So I know that we are doing the work that we need to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that, I mean, Aaron Gurner coaching was born after that. It became very clear that that's what I wanted to do. I hired my own coach to help me do that. And it's been doing it ever since. If, if somebody is out there listening and they're struggling with the questions of shouldn't there be more and, I'm so unhappy. I don't know, you know, but I don't even know who I am. I've always thought of myself as a lawyer. Uh, What else could I be? What are your top one or two tips for where can they get started? I always go back to the question of, I always say, get out a journal, like get a journal. Like that will be your best friend. And I think lawyers like journals because it's like, you can like write in there and then close it up and like, no Mm -hmm. one's going to read it. Like you can just, it can just be in there, be your private thoughts, get a journal. And I want you to answer that question that I asked earlier. Like, what would, what would you want? What do you want? If you knew you could succeed, if you had nothing left to prove, if you couldn't mess it up, if you knew it would work out better than you ever expected, what would you want to do? Mm. What would you want to do? And get real honest with yourself and start breaking that down and ask people, what are you passionate about? What do you love other than your job? What is something you can talk about all day? What is something you can talk about all day? Because when you start then allowing joy and things that are you're passionate about in your life, you can start to be like, oh, it starts to just open up the curtain a little mm-hmm. bit, right? Mm-hmm. So I think those are huge. I also think finding a mentor is huge. You don't have to necessarily hire a coach, but I think finding a mentor and just having the conversation with someone else for me, it was so validating to understand and to know that I wasn't alone and yes. that I, that I, again, that there wasn't something wrong with me, right? Like I am not the only person struggling with this. And I really think that there is power in the me too, right? Like there, that is so affirming. Yes. And it just gives you the permission slip to actually sit down with that journal and get intentional because once you decide what you want, that is how you can start reverse engineering to get there. Right. You have to get clear on your destination and then you can reverse engineer how to get there because with a new level of clarity and awareness, you can now start taking intentional steps and actions towards achieving what you actually want to do. Right. Yeah, and I would say if you if you had trouble answering that question initially, 
don't stop asking it because something that we coaches love to do, and if you've ever been coached by me, you know this, is we'll ask a question and then we'll go silent. And sometimes there are very lengthy periods where we're just silent and we wait for you to come up with something. And we'll keep asking some of the same questions over and over again over the course of working with you because we know you can't answer it all fully initially, right? And it changes over time as you get new awareness and start to take action. That also crystallizes what you want more. And so keep asking the question. And yeah, I love your idea of answering it with assuming you could not fail, assuming you will succeed. I would assume time and money are not an issue. Just assume everything will go exactly the way you want it to, right? What do you want? Keep asking that and then get really clear around, well, what are my values? What's truly important to me? If you don't, if you can't answer that, and why are they so important? And where's the gap right now? Something I would say is this does not mean you're not going to practice law. It does not mean you will practice law. You don't know where it's going to lead you. And I think too many lawyers get scared that if they start asking those questions, it means they have to take some huge leap out. And that that's not necessarily the case. Um, so don't make those assumptions. Go in eyes wide open because I've definitely had my clients who come in thinking, I don't know if I want to be a lawyer anymore and actually end up very happily practicing law for many years thereafter. It's just that they're not practicing in the right industry or at the right firm or with the right clients or, you know, there's tweaks that they need to make. Right. And so go in with zero assumptions because that, those are all those stories she talked about earlier that we, that hold us back. (laughs) Yep. Yep. That's the, what it, I mean, that's right. You have to assume that everything is going to work out. You're just going to know that everything is going to work out because you get into the shoulds. Oh, well, I can't actually want that because Mm -hmm. I don't really have a plan of how to get there. Or I can't really want that because maybe I might have to take a pay cut to like make that move temporarily before I get, you know, get to where I actually want to go. Right. That's the stuff. And then that's, then you don't take action. That's the stuff that prevents you from actually taking action. So, and that's why I love having a journal. I actually just carry mine with me and I just write in it. Like just give yourself Mm -hmm. permission to feel the feelings and to acknowledge how you feel. I think that's so important because it's just what you just said. Like we start to acknowledge those feelings and they scare us and we, they shove them back down and nothing changes, right? Nothing changes. Mm -hmm. Nothing changes. It's allowing them to come to the surface. They don't mean anything about you. There's nothing wrong with you. They're there for a reason. It's all information. That's what I tell my clients. It's all information information and feedback for you. Yeah. And let's go there. Okay. So you mentioned money. It is bar none when I talk to people who really do believe that they probably don't really want to be practicing law anymore. They make the excuse of, yeah, but I won't be able to make the same amount of money. So I can't over and over again. That's always the number one thing, right? (laughs) So what do you say to that? Well, I say that that is a very linear view on how you can make money. Mm -hmm. There are a multitude of ways to make money in the law and elsewhere. Like what they say, millionaires have seven streams of income. There are lots Mm -hmm. of ways to make money. Mm -hmm. I think we have to get out of our own way and open our minds to what the possibility could look like. Because again, we're still going by the traditional paradigm when people are coming to you like, oh, I'm not going to be able to make any money. Well, their view is still the traditional traditional paradigm, right? Like if I'm not working in a firm with this many people making this much money, then this is not a a good enough job. 
there are so many ways to practice law these days. Like I have, I mean, people are starting their own firm and finding clients online. And I mean, I just, it's a different world than it was 10 years ago. There's so yep. many creative ways to be a lawyer these days. It's, it's yeah. insane. Like 10 years ago, I didn't feel like I had any options. Now I would have, I would, you know what I mean? You can get really creative on what you, you want to do. And we've both seen it. And I, I will say a couple of things that I think you're assuming when you go there. Number one, you're assuming that this is the only way to practice law, which is just not correct. Number two, you're also assuming that it means, again, you just quit on day one and don't know what you're doing and start something from scratch. That's not necessarily how you have to do it. Um, like I have a client who wanted to start a side business and kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And finally, after we worked together, he did it. He joined my mastermind and through kind of the mirroring back that happens in a mastermind kind of a group situation, he realized, why am I not doing this? Like I could do this on the side and still practice law. And he did. And that side business is still kind of on, in startup mode, but he, it's taking off. It's starting to do things. It's, it sends him business on the legal side. It's like you don't have to just jump ship and start from scratch. You can. I did that. <laughs> but that's a choice that you get to make each step of the way. And so don't assume anything yep. when you go through this exercise because that's those those assumptions are what are actually holding you back. Right. It's your ego. Again, you have to yes. put her aside. You have to put her in her place and do this exercise and be honest with yourself. And we're we are very smart, intelligent, capable people and have a multitude of transferable skills that make us wicked, great business people. We don't mm -hmm. know that about ourselves, but we are like, yeah. we are very smart, analytical problem solvers. So just give yourself permission to be that. Absolutely. That's another thing I find is how scared people are to go it alone and not, you know, uh, do their own thing and be a business owner. And I like to tell my clients, like, if you are in private practice, I don't care if you're in big law, if you're solo, if you're in a small firm, it doesn't matter. If you are going to be successful in private practice, you need to be an entrepreneur anyway. Like, that is the people who think more entrepreneurial and like business owners are the ones with actual books of business, like good sized books of business that are thriving. And so you might, you might as well get used to that <laughs> regardless. Um, and if you could do that, you can go out and start your own business anyway. Yes. So if you can form your own book of business, you can do that with anything, anywhere. You can, you can do it again and they recreate are it. You have more skills than you believe. You, you That's haven't exactly just right. been taught to think like a lawyer. And by the way, those think like a lawyer skills can be utilized in other ways too, that are very beneficial when you have your own business. So Again, no assumptions, people. <laughs> exactly. It, it absolutely is. We, we put ourselves in this box that we can only do one thing one way when we are so capable of doing a multitude of things in many brilliant ways. Yeah. What I find crazy is lawyers are the only ones who do this to themselves. When other people from the outside looking in look at lawyers, they assume, oh my God, you could do so much with that. And we lawyers are the ones who box ourselves in. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I can just be a lawyer. That's the only thing I know how to do is go be a lawyer. I remember when I, after I had had my second child and I was going back, I was like, well, what else am I going to do by be a lawyer? I mean, even when, you know, the social selling opportunity came across, I was like, what am I going to do? I've never sold anything in my life. Like, what are you talking about? I mean, I just 
like that is not my skill set, but I just boxed myself into being able to do one thing one way. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story with us. I think I think a lot of people are going to resonate with the conversation that we've had today. Um, how can people find you if they want to hook up with you online? So you can find me on Instagram at Erin Gurner. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn, Erin Gurner. I also have a new ebook that I just released. It's called The 10 Keys to Success and Fulfillment as a Lawyer. And the stuff they don't teach you in law school. Okay. So. <laughs> so I will have links to all three of yeah. those spots in the show notes so that everybody can go find you. Yep. And you can also go to my website, eringuerner.com and find out more about me and see about all my coaching opportunities and ways that we can get in contact. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Are you tired of barely squeezing life in thinking, shouldn't there be more to life than this? Do you want to get to the next level, but without losing yourself in the process? Are you ready to start thinking and doing differently so that you can stop doing the same things over and over and over, hoping for a different result? If any of this speaks to you and you're ready to do something about it starting now, book a call with me to find out how I can help. Go to lifeandlawpodcast.com forward slash free call.